What's up, party people? This is Rob Cruz with Transcending Sport. Today, I had a really, really, really good talk with a close friend of mine, Anthony Yako. He is the founder of Pitch Tracks Baseball. He's probably one of the, in my top, at least five or six people on the planet that are just real smart when it comes to just getting people better. I'm really, really excited about this podcast. I want you guys to check it out. This is just a little introduction to, you know, some of the things that we talk about on a daily basis, like just a regular phone call with him or just hanging out around the facility. Um, these are the kind of things that we get into. Um, check it out. Welcome to the Transcending Sport Podcast with Rob Cruz, an audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Cruz, Transcending Sport. My guest is Anthony Yako. He is the founder of Pitrex Baseball and 4D Sports New York. Welcome to the show. How What's going on, Bob? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing today? Good, good, good. So, so normally when I do these podcasts, you know, when I have, you know, so far I've been doing my podcast with people that I know people that I, I have a lot of respect for, obviously, in the, in the world of player development, sports, you know, baseball, softball, training, the training, sports performance world. Um, but you and I have a very special relationship. We, you know, we are really, really extremely passionate about what we do. And I believe that you are a master teacher. And um, I thought it would be great to get you on here, finally, um, to be able to share a little bit about what, what it is that you do and the future of, of of throwing and biomechanics and how we develop arms and, and prevent injuries. Um, tell us a little bit about the early days of Anthony Yako, how you how you got into baseball, your early baseball career, and so forth and so on. I mean, it, you know, my career, real simple, is, you know, out of high school, I was just a three-sport athlete, played ball, you know, went as hard as I could, came from not much and just grinded every single day. And I ended up getting drafted to play um, with the San Francisco Giants. Um, got drafted in the 10th round, 1999. And ever since then, I've just been blessed to be around mentors in the world of human performance and just train athletes my whole life. Man. That's good. What high school did you uh, get drafted from? I got drafted out of Maypac High School in New York. Oh, that's, that's cool. Um, and I remember you, you know, back then. I was uh, I was I was in a facility in White Plains. I remember the, I remember the day you walked in there and everybody was talking about, "Hey, that's Anthony Yako. The guy throws like 95." <laughs> it was really funny because, you know, all eyes were on you over in the bullpen. I'll never forget it. It was Cage Four, and you were throwing on the mound, and everybody was just looking over there at, at this kid popping the glove harder than anybody's ever seen up close. <laughs> That's funny, man. They didn't tell you about the 500 foot home runs I hit. <laughs> nah, they were only talking. They were only talking about the 95, I guess. I, I don't know. But um, but um, yeah. So now you know. Now you know. Fast forward to you talked about being mentored by you know some of the best mentors in in the world, and I, I know this to be true. Tell me a little bit about um, some of the things that you've learned. Um. You know, and and how that has shaped and molded your process and and how you and your approach and how you develop athletes today. So as a, as a as a young kid, I was blessed to have a, a doctor, a world renowned doctor, take me under his wing and uh, teach me for starters 
about heart rate technology and the difference between anaerobic and aerobic activity and the physiological blend between the two that literally takes human performance to the next level sparked my interest pretty heavy and i was you know blessed to be around some olympic athletes some high level you know mlb guys nba guys nfl little little bit of nhl i saw some cyclists some marathon runners i saw a bunch of stuff in my day you know really really young and i'm talking about high school days i was surrounded by these people and it started to wake me up a little bit and started to get me in a zone where i was kind of just you know fiending for that that information because i knew i had some talent i didn't know at what level the talent was and you know that's a story for another day but you know realistically i really didn't know what i had but all i know is that i wanted to compete and then i had that burning desire so i kept on you know taking as much information as possible you know doing what i did i started training athletes at a really really young age just trying to help out the local community and then you know once i got drafted it was just like i mean between you and me man you know where i'm from where i'm from like a lot of people don't get well in the past they didn't really get drafted from this area so you know you're walking around and people are asking you to train their athletes and whether you know it or you don't know it you could probably offer more to them than they're getting anywhere else so i just started jumping into it i had a good friend of mine who owned the facility in uh you know another town in in new york and uh he asked me to jump on board with him and i started helping out these athletes at a very very young age um took took that and just studied my ass off to be straight up and just studied like crazy learned anatomy learned movement learned injury prevention biomechanics and just put myself around the best people i could possibly be around um, i was fortunate enough to link up with some of the best in the world from you know several components of human performance and um to this day i still have tremendous relationships with those people and they just keep on making me better and better every single day that's great and, um, so you know, yeah that's it man and that's, that's great all I so can do is keep on giving back to the next generation so environment has a lot to do with it i'm i'm, I'm getting from you and also and you know it seems like you were you were in that environment and you just absorbed what what was around you which is great so talk to me about you mentioned earlier um this physiological blend between the aerobic and the anaerobic. Um, um, talk, talk, to, talk to us a little bit about that. Enlighten my audience. I mean, we, we've talked about it a, a number number of times, but you know, um, I'm sure that my audience would be curious to, to know. Wait, physical physiological blend? What did he say? <laughs> so, uh, give us a little bit of insight on, on what that is and, and why that's important, and and how you're incorporating that into how you train your athletes. So I'm just going to try and keep it as simple as possible, but the bottom line is no matter how you slice any athlete or any human being, there, you know, in order to increase performance, it literally is a physiological blend between anaerobic activity and aerobic activity. Anaero if you do too much anaerobic activity and not enough aerobic, one day you will break. If you do too much aerobic and not enough anaerobic, you will never see the progression you need to achieve your maximum potential. So at the end of the day, you know, it really comes down to managing a program when you're dealing with an athlete on volume, load, frequency, intensity, and duration, and just allowing these athletes to, you know, to grow depending on the window of trainability that they're in. But, you know, I see a lot of these people, you know, a lot of these kids that I see throughout the country, whether it be, you know, a big leaguer, minor leaguer, or a little leaguer, 
know they're all so gun ho about throwing hard or hitting 500 foot home runs, you know, or running a 6460 that, you know, they're willing to take in any amount of information from anyone that they think knows more than them. It's not always so on point when it comes to the science and, and, and the side of human performance that really matters. So, you know, when you talk about us having, you know, the opportunity here to just educate people on the physiological blend between both. I mean, it, it's it's coupled with every component to human performance that you could possibly think of when it comes to, you know, pure biomechanics, overall just straight movement and mobility, flexibility, reaction time, you know, plyometrics, speed and agility, strength and conditioning, you know, nutrition, etc. I mean, there's so many things. My biggest the biggest component that I put my most effort into with all my athletes is mental emotional. All right, pause you know, right, pa pause right there, pause right there. I gotta, I gotta go back. So, for people who don't know, what is anaerobic and aerobic, and like, what are some examples of what you said? Too much anaerobic, not enough aerobic, vice versa. Okay, give us an example of what too much. Uh, what is anaerobic? What is an aerobic exercise? All right, so I'm just going to keep it in simple layman's terms. Basically, you have a target heart rate. Um, you know, there's algorithms for that that you can follow. But the reality is, is like, once you identify your target heart rate, anything above your target heart rate is considered anaerobic. Anything below your target heart rate is considered aerobic. So you have multiple ways to go about this. You know, if I were to meet an athlete straight up from scratch and know he had no timeline, which I know doesn't really exist, in this world right now, but if they had no timelines, I would spend the first 90 days on building strict aerobic capacity so that they can increase their workload while their heart rate maintains maintains the same. So yeah, I'm gonna give you an example of how to build aerobic capacity, which is um, MAP. We do an MAP test, maximum aerobic capacity. So if we were to put an athlete on the treadmill, let's just say their target heart rate is 165. We're gonna put an athlete on the treadmill with a heart rate monitor. Let's say their ambient heart rate is starting at, I don't know, 80. You know, they start at 80, they start walking on the treadmill. We set the treadmill to 3.0 on the treadmill and we add 0.2 every minute until their heart rate reaches 165. At that point, we're gonna be able to identify what is the workload that actually caused your heart rate to get to 165. Now, I'm just gonna use 6.0 as an example. So let's say we got the six miles an hour on the treadmill, heart rate sits at 165, and then we ask them to maintain that for 10 or 15 minutes to see if they can actually maintain that before they flip over and make the crossover to um, anaerobic. So once they identify that, what we did is we took that 6.0, which is the workload, and we took the heart rate, which is actually their, their heart rate, what's going on in their body, and we identify that as your maximum aerobic performance. So in order for us to increase the aerobic performance of an athlete so that they can have more capacity as well as recover faster, we're gonna have to be able to, in their training, increase the workload but maintain the same heart rate. So for example, the best athlete that I ever had um, when it comes to endurance, a guy was, he was training for the Olympics and he fell short by about 10 seconds on the um, on, on his event. And 
he trained for four years. He started at six, or he started at 7.0, 7.2 MAP. Then he ended up being 12.2 MAP, which means he's at 12.2 miles an hour on the treadmill running for an hour and a half without breathing heavy. For everybody in the audience, that's serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. I mean, most, most, most people, most people can't even, you know, most people can't even do that for 30, 40 seconds without freaking jumping off the treadmill. <laughs> right. And the, re the reason why I bring that example up is because if you see like from the 6.0 to the 12.2, all we did is increase the workload of the athlete and the heart rate stayed the same. So with that kind of capacity, after I trained them for X amount of months or whatever it is, then we would move into the anaerobic side and take the next three months and go over anaerobic. So when we start training anaerobic, we start doing more sprint work, more maybe some lifting, you know, plyometrics, uh, speed and agility, etc. things that make you go into the anaerobic state. Right. So, so once, once yeah. and, and this is a perfect world, Rob, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is like a complete perfect world where I would have somebody that doesn't have to compete and I just had an athlete, I would take them first 90 days, aerobic base training. Second 90 days would be anaerobic base training, trying to push the anaerobic threshold, increase the recovery time based on what we did in the first phase. And then we would continue that. The problem is with these athletes that are in, that we deal with, you know, primarily, you know, a lot of the athletes that are really striving are the are the kids in high school and college that are really trying to get to the next level. When, once you get into the pro level, you know, there's th this information's available, but the younger kids, they just have to understand that they don't have the time specifically to just dedicate everything. So it needs to be managed. You mentioned um, the most, the emotional and the mental earlier and I, I i wanted to get back to that because i wanted you to, to, to just go in because you know for me and what i do on my end of it and you know we work together on some, a whole lot of projects um i'm finding that we have the players that have the resources we have athletes that have resources to be able to go out and hire the best trainer to go out and hire uh and get all the right equipment um go to all the places where they need to be in terms of platform for showcasing and, and being able to get themselves uh, seen. You bet. But, but the mental and emotional part of the game, which allows them to compete after they've got all that, is something that's lacking. And, and at the highest level of play, it's probably the most important thing. Um, you, you know, what are some of the strategies and things that, you, that you, you're employing right now in, 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 in PitchRex Baseball? to prepare athletes to be able to, to uh, after they've gotten the, the, all this great training, um, to be able to actually put it into practice in a competitive situation and have the mental, uh, the, the, the mental, the mindset necessary to compete with anybody in the, with anybody in the world or the country for that, or, or the country for that matter. Yeah, man. So, I mean, that's, that's probably like my favorite topic to talk about. So, I mean, ultimately, what people really need to what people really need to understand is that you can you can have perfect biomechanics and be a perfect physical specimen and still suck our sport. And you can also have horrendous biomechanics and be out of shape and be great in our sport. Yeah. You know, I'm talking baseball and softball primarily. 
Yeah. The reality is, is that, you know, when it comes to the mental emotional side, I always try to preach having everybody be able to identify how to get in that now state of mind. And ultimately, the now state of mind was originally designed in the human body for tragedy or danger. So if there was a tragic or a dangerous situation, the adrenal glands fire, you start to think faster, you start to, you know, just become stronger, you'll do things that you've never done before, your focus is extremely concentrated. And, you know, what we're dealing with with athletes is athletes never get into that situation. So what we have to do is be able to access that that zone state of mind on a consistent basis as if we were in a tragic or a dangerous situation so we can access our adrenal gland function and we can get extreme concentration. So the only way to do that is to teach your brain and repattern the way you think so that your the process of information that's coming through your brain is always positive, number one, and you and you learn to stay in present time. So I run into I run into all this um, these kind of conversations pretty much daily with every athlete I've ever dealt with because I use I address this first. So I always talk about this. If I want you to stay in present time, I'm trying to eliminate any thoughts that go into the past or any thoughts that go into the future. So if if I have an athlete that's thinking towards the future, they're creating an extreme amount of anxiety, which is taking their focus off their task at hand. If I have an athlete that's in the past, they're creating a lot of frustration based on results because they're result-oriented versus process-oriented. And that just creates extreme amount of frustration that'll take their focus off their task at hand. So if I had to give you like, you know, one quick thing just in this podcast here to, you know, give to athletes is try to stay in the now state of mind. Identify the things that break your concentration. Identify the things that put you in the past and put you in the future and try to think about what is happening right now, this second, this moment, on the spot, what's happening. Whether I'm training, playing, competing, you know, being coached, coach, whatever you're doing, the reality is, is that every athlete has to be able to, well, the elite athletes are capable of, but athletes should aspire to be in that zone state of mind all the time, 100% of the time, and when they go out of it, they should be able to identify why they went out. <laughs> That's funny because I talk, <laughs> I talk about that so much. I, I, you know, we have to be able to, we have to be able to, to um, in, in a practice environment, create the emotional context of a game, so that the athletes can practice the task with the same amount of pressure that would be that they would have in the game and try, and try to bring that to them so they can really practice being able to, to, to get in the, get in that get in the zone when they're not and know when they're in and know how to get back in and when to get out so I think you're so on point on that and that's something that something that you know it's hard to teach when you have these you know we got a lot of practice players out there they look so good in, in the pen they look so great in the bullpen they look so great in the batting cage and all of a sudden they get into a game and it's like deer in headlights oh my gosh this is real there's an umpire right now and there's, there's another team I have to play against and so what are some of the things that one contribute to athletes being in the past or being in the future um, two how do we suppress those How? what are some strategies uh, of how we suppress those thoughts 
to, to remain in the to remain in the now or or being with like some people might want to say being where your feet are. I mean, I like here's the deal. I mean, I work I work with a bunch of different sports psychologists on this, and I've never met this guy in person, but I've always gone to his program because I think that it's been such a tremendous influence on me and I think it breaks it down pretty well. So, um, I mean, the one, the one that I rolled through was designed by a guy named Jim Fannin. He created, he created some CDs called in the zone and he always, you know, he, he broke it down into a bird called score as an acronym. And I always, what I do is I always teach my athletes off that because I think it's the best way to look at it. So, if you think about an athlete, you know, and regular people, we obviously know there's a percentage of athletes that, you know, are just, it's such a small percentage of, of the human population that achieves the level that we're talking about. So we're talking about high level individuals that have extreme talent. And when, when I break it down, I usually try to start with this process that was created by a guy named Jim Fannin. Um, you know, and I listened to his stuff for, for many, many years. He broke down the acronym SCORE. S stands for self-discipline. C stands for concentration. O stands for optimism. R stands for relaxation. And E stands for enjoyment. Yeah. So when you take those, you take those um, five letters and you look at them and you start to break it down and you say, okay, today... How, how was I as far as self-discipline and what is self-discipline? Self-discipline is basically being in control of your body and your being and your awareness and what you're doing. Like, how in control are you? You know, how, how in control are you really when you're out on the field or in practice or competing, whatever it may be? You know, you have to identify that. And what, what I like to do is rate it on a scale from one to 10 at the end of every day. So that's self-discipline. Concentration is extreme focus on your task at hand. So I'm going to use, because I deal with a lot of pitchers. So I'm going to use pitchers as an example. In concentration, a pitcher has to be concentrated on a dime-sized target inside the glove and he needs to be a marksman. Nothing else matters. So when I ask a pitcher and I say, hey, what do you, what do you see when you look down you know, down to throw a pitch. He says, well, I see the plate, I see the umpire, I see the batter, I see the fans. They shouldn't be seeing all that. They have to learn to narrow their focus so that their concentration is extreme so they can be a marksman. I think, you know, I always bring this up. I think the longest sniper shot, you know, was 1.86 miles or something like that. It was something crazy. I don't, <laughs> don't quote me on that. But like I say to the kids, like we're throwing from 60 feet, six inches. I mean, you know, like we need to be a marksman. We have to have extreme concentration and be able to, you know, get to that spot. And then you go to, you know, you go to O, which is optimism. And, you know, real simple in layman's terms, you know, seeing the glass half full versus half empty and really just trying to surround yourself with positive people. Make sure you're maintaining positive thoughts all the time. Thinking, you know, thinking about the things that are going to make you better, not the things that you already did or is going to make you worse. And just staying positive. Um, R stands for relaxation. The two, the two muscles that can give you the most relaxation are in your jaw 
and your glutes. So if you ever run into a situation where you feel really stressed, just relax your jaw and relax your glutes and just try to have fun playing ball. Then that rolls me right to enjoyment. Like, did you have fun? Because the reality is if you watch these high profile athletes, when they win a pennant or they win a championship, you know, or whatever they do, these people, you know, these NHL guys who win the Stanley Cup, they go wild because they're having fun. And like, you know, I think a lot of times because of the pressure of college recruiting, they're getting drafted, they're just being able to be a starter or just competing at the next level. I think that gets the best of some of these athletes, especially at the younger ages. And they forget like why they play the game. The game's supposed to be fun. So, you know, when it comes to enjoyment, you just have to realize that preparation breeds confidence. If these kids, you know, I say kids because I guess I'm getting old now, <laughs> but you know, I, you know, these, these athletes that train, you know, they really need to just understand that it's a process. And if they're consistently focusing on the result, it's not always going to be what they want it to be. And if they allow that to affect them mentally on a negative side, then they're always going to break the, 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 um, the five components of the score method. So how important, so, so, you know, I'm looking at the, that acronym you gave us and I'm looking at the amount of athletes that I've trained in my entire life that had the ability to do that and then I'm also thinking about as you're talking uh, how good those athletes were that were able to do that that were able to be in, in, in the now um, have a short memory about things that already happened and basically be create their future <laughs> you know what I'm saying yeah so, man so I mean, now, straight, straight up, bro. You, you, yeah. know, you know as well as I do, there's levels to this, man. It's either you is or you is not an athlete. You, you If you want to be, there's there's enough, especially nowadays, there is enough information out there and enough access, like easy access to high-level people out there that if you want to be a superstar and you want to do it, you have to control the component of mental-emotional. And if you can't control that, you're never going anywhere. I mean, ultimately you have athletes that have extreme talent. That's a different story. Um, but if you, if you don't have the talent to play in the NBA or you don't have the talent to play in the MLB or you're the NFL, like, yeah, like you just don't have it. And at some point you're going to have to come to a realization, but the athletes that are like on the border, like on that borderline, usually the reason why they don't make it is because of the mental emotional component because they weren't able to put enough concentration at the right time to achieve the most for their efforts. But how, but how much how much of that is innate and how much of that is learned? Say, say that again? How much of that mental emotional ability is innate? Whereas they, 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 they have it, they just have it. It's, it comes naturally for them. And then how much of that is actual mental work and mental prep? I mean, I, I don't I don't have a percentage for you, but I'm gonna tell you that I I personally believe you know me for a long time and I believe that everyone can get that mental emotional component down. Everyone. I don't think there's a person in the world that with the proper training and the right thought process can't get control their mental game. I believe that wholeheartedly. But when it comes to physical talent and ability, I mean, there's obviously small percentages. I, I know the numbers for baseball, but there's just very small percentages that ever make it to ESPN, like what everybody's used to watching, you know? 
um, you know, you, you go you go to a, like we live in New York, so, you know, you go to a Yankee game and you watch these players, the guys that are sitting on the bench are better athletes than anyone's ever seen in their life in person. So, you know, it's tough because when it comes to just pure mental, emotional, I think that everyone can get there. It's whether whether or not they're willing to learn and they're willing to make change. And, it, you know, it, it's not, I don't think it's really just God given that you have this mental, emotional awareness about you. I think that it is learned. I really do. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I got you. Yes. So that's great. So, um, so I heard <laughs> it's hard to do this interview because like I know I know so we we talk about every other day. <laughs> so it's like I'm, I'm trying to ask questions like I don't know. I don't like I'm not, like I don't know what you're gonna say or whatever, but so but <laughs> so I heard that you were doing something with NYU and, and you know what? I'm I am i am definitely gonna bring you back. Um to uh, as often as you'd like to come back on the on the podcast. I believe you have a lot to offer, but give give, give me a quick um breakdown of what you can actually talk about with what's going on with you with um nyu medical and some of the research that that's going on with biomechanics and and with pitching and throwing that you guys have been doing over there performance yeah awesome yeah we can we can talk about some of this stuff so um i actually it's cool that you that you brought that up because last week i actually went up to lake georgia new york for um it was called the Modern Athlete Sports Symposium. And I was asked to speak there. And when I went there, it was a bunch of, uh, you know, primarily doctors and um, physical therapists, occupational therapists, et cetera. And um, it was a three-day event. There was, you know, 20 minutes, 20 minute blocks where we all got a chance to lecture or whatever. I had a couple other breakout sessions. I worked with the girls from NYU, um, which was awesome. And, you know, obviously, they saw a totally different perspective uh, from what, what I was bringing to the table, uh, you know, being in the game on the field and everything. But, you know, what we do, what we're doing over here is I worked out a partnership with NYU Medical Lancone in Manhattan um, and it, with their sports performance center. I work um, primarily with the head physiologist, uh, exercise physiologist, Heather Milton. She is um, one of the, one of the best one of the best at evaluating athletes and just programming for their strengths and weaknesses. Um, one of one of the one of the most awesome people that I've ever worked with, and um, it's it's great to have her there. So what we do over there is we have a 3D motion capture system, um, also supported by EMGs. So as we place the sensors, um, and I'm going to tell you, we're doing primarily pitching right now. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. But we'll place the sensors on the athlete however many it is 30 40 what i don't remember exactly how many centers they put on but in addition to that they also attach an emg to the athlete so that we can get a maximum um a maximum intensity flex out of the muscle so we know exactly when each muscle is firing throughout the delivery so we can see how their biomechanical efficiency lines up, then compare their strengths and weaknesses off of the evaluation. So ultimately, when working with NYU, and this is why I really like working with this group specifically, is because, you know, most athletes don't understand that biomechanical efficiency is literally 
putting your body in the right place at the right time to achieve the most power with the least amount of effort. Now, whoa, the, whoa, 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 the, whoa, 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 whoa. Say that one more time. Because people are probably going to be listening to this driving and they, they might have just swerved off the road just now. <laughs> yeah. Just say that one more time slow. <laughs> so, oh, you know, ultimately, like the way I look at it is like this. Biomechanical efficiency is basically in a nutshell putting your body in the right place at the right time to achieve the most power with the least amount of effort. And with that being said, we know as a group, because of the amount of research that's been done over the years, exactly what a human body can do as far as movement and range of motion. So we have, you know, levels that we need to see. When we do the evaluation, we might see that somebody is um, falling short 15 degrees on internal rotation of their of their rotator cuff or their hip. We might see that somebody's not capable of dorsiflexion and we need plantar flexion. We might see um, an anterior pelvic tilt of 40 degrees, and you know, for what, while we're trying to find, you know, five five degrees, you know, the, the we look at a lot of different things when it comes to the human body and the movement. So, the cool thing about this 3D motion capture system is not only are we addressing the biomechanical flaws as they're going through their specific skill, we're also being able to correlate that with their inefficiencies in overall movement, which is to me is the game changer. So if I know, if I get an, if we do an evaluation and we know that an athlete is incapable of a certain movement, we're not going to hold that against them when they're on the mound. We're just going to address the movement first. And then we know that if that movement is addressed efficiently, we'll be able to increase biomechanical efficiency. Then you start to gain, and I'm talking pitchers now, velocity and command and an injury-free career. So there's a lot of things that go in to this, this whole process. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I look at it like this. If I can identify every single strength and every single weakness in your body, and when you make movements, we can identify the inefficiencies in your movements. Then we can make you go through your skill, show you to one one thousandth of a degree or whatever it is that the system does. You know, we, we're able to basically break it down piece by piece all the way through the kinematic sequence energy transfer and show you the actual kinetic chain as it's happening. That's crazy. Crazy. <laughs> That's very, oof. So yeah, Great. so uh, you know, uh, okay, so we we gotta I gotta bring you back. So we're gonna have to. <laughs> we, we got a lot of we got a lot of stuff, and I'm, I, I like the way you unpack that. I think it's, it 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 was something that people can understand, and you see where you can see where uh, with in the future where we're going with 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 sports performance, where we're going with getting athletes better. We're getting smarter. We're partnering with the right people. Doctors are getting involved with the athletes. Where before it was, it was always separated, and we were, we had a little bit of a, a point where we were kind of stagnated in terms of information. But when you bring a, a coach who, who's 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 on the dirt onto the same platform as doctors, and you're sharing information and you're you're cross-referencing information, I think I think the sky's the limit in terms of what we can do what we can do for athletes yeah, going forward. That- no doubt. And, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest things while we're on that topic, you know, there's always been 
a little bit of, you know, I, I don't I don't know the right word for it, but you know, there's always been a little bit of animosity between the medical community and the coaching community. Yeah. And, you know, it's starting to blend a little bit more now because, you know, young young players that don't get a chance to make it that still have an interest in sports are starting to get educated. They're getting their, you know, exercise science, kinesiology degrees, you know, bio biomechanist degrees. They're getting into PT. So you're starting to have more and more athletes in the medical field which is a huge plus. Yes. But the reality is, is like when, when we talk about this stuff, we're talking about the elite level. I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put uh, a 12 year old in a biomechanical analysis. until I realize that that kid's mental, emotional awareness is strong enough to be able to receive the information or else it's a waste of time. Because you go back to, again, and this is like a whole other podcast in itself, but if you look at the windows of trainability, you know, in pre-testosterone pre in a male is, you know, training the nervous system. And if you're training the nervous system, you're basically patterning your nerves to become an athlete. So whatever you do, you're going you're gonna to train your nervous system to do that. So that's why we always suggest athletes to play multiple sports and become as athletic as possible in those early ages. Once you get into past testosterone, you go into a window of trainability that's training your, your muscular system. So now we have to start to learn how to allow our nerves and our muscles to talk. It brings up a great point because I hear a lot of parents talk about this with me whenever I talk about their children, um, whether that be pro guys or, or little league guys. You know, they always talk about this cliche, muscle memory. What everybody has to understand is there is no such thing as muscle memory. <laughs> Muscles don't remember anything. That's true. Your brain triggers the nervous system and the nerves remember. Okay, so it's called neurological patterning when yes. you're training. So then the, the, once you get out of that testosterone phase where you started to, now your nerves and your muscles, they start to talk. Things start to make sense. You don't feel uncoordinated. You're actually able to do the things that you want to do and you have the strength to do it. Now you start to deal with the next window of trainability, which is skill acquisition. So in skill acquisition, depending on how much you've grown and how much muscle you put on, how much strength, the learning curve, etc., you have to acquire the skills necessary to be a master and through repetition and neurological patterning. So through repetition, you know, for every, you know, if somebody has a movement pattern that they need to address, it's going to take a thousand reps to break a bad habit, 10,000 to make it autonomical, and 10,000 hours of performing that task just to, or performing that task efficient to achieve mastery like a guy like Craig Maddox who pitched for 20 years and can put a ball wherever he wants. So you have, you have those top, those three, and then after skill acquisition, you get into the world of like the Tom Brady's of the world, the Tiger Woods of the world where they're in skill retention. They're trying to retain all the skills that they developed from a little kid through their nervous system, muscular system, skill acquisition, et cetera. And they're trying to retain that to be able to play 45 the way they played when they were 25. Yeah. And it, it's really, really interesting concept. But those are the windows of trainability. So we have to identify, like, who are we putting in these Yo, all this technology is great. I love it. I think it's great, all these metrics. But the reality is, is like, 
you know, what does it do? It really, the metrics are really just giving you information to be able to track and trend your progression over time. So it creates an opportunity for a coach to, to validate what he's doing. So, you know, I, I had access to a lot of technology over the years and I always told the people who own the technology or founded it, I said, guys, listen, if you put this technology in a facility or in an organization where the coaches don't know what they're talking about, you're gonna put them out of business because you're gonna to start to validate why their training doesn't work. So what the cool thing is, is that with all these metrics and all this you know, biomechanical analysis and 3D motion capture, everything that we have on the table, we're able to now identify the quality coaches and be able to move towards that arena versus just listening to anybody that knows more than you. you does that make sense? It makes total sense. Yeah, we're on the same page. And, and that's, <laughs> I, I, that's why you're on here. <laughs> you're dropping it right now. You are freaking dropping it. So so how can how can, how can can my listeners get in touch with you, follow you on social media? Where, where, where you at? Where you at on Twitter? Where you at on Facebook? Where you at on Instagram? Yeah, so I mean, my uh, right now I'm just rolling off uh, at pitrexbaseball.com. Spell pitrex. Uh, spell pitrex so for us. Pitrex is... P-I-T-R-X. Um, you know, we came up with that. We came up with that um, with the, the RX is like kind of like that prescription symbol. Yeah. So we kind of like up with that and just blended the words. Uh, I'm going to give uh, give extreme props to the collaboration with um, Dylan Wagman, one of the strength coaches out there yeah. that I worked with for a long time. Um, student of mine for a long time, but me and him collaborated on that, on that name and Always got to give props for props to do. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So I'm going to have everybody, you know, you guys can, can follow Anthony Yako at uh, Pitchrex Baseball. Yeah, and if, you know, off of this, if anybody has any questions and they just want answered or maybe they want to just open a door and start to collaborate a little bit, they can always hit me at info at pitchrex.com. All right, that sounds good. All right, well, I really appreciate you coming on to the Transcending Sport Podcast. And, um... Obviously, we got to get you back on, like immediately, like Indeed. soon, like within the next thirty yeah. days, hopefully, because we, we got so much. You know I mean? Did so many things just from this podcast. Crazy. Yeah, there was so many things just in this podcast that uh, we could have we could have took one or two topics, and it, that could have been like a, a sixty-minute podcast. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying is like, it's funny. Your listeners are gonna laugh like crazy, but we we talk about this stuff every day every day and like our our regular this is a regular conversation like things that we talk about all the time and i think that it's exciting to be able to put that down you know in a recorded fashion where people could actually access this because we always say it all the time i mean we know each other for like 20 years right yeah yeah and like we we you know how many conversations we had that have so much value to these athletes that i would just love for them to be able to access that information it's not always easy so i appreciate you and the transcending sports crew and everything you do man you know i have a lot of respect for you and you know i know we're boys but i've always considered you one of my main mentors in life and this is this is a good good start to a good uh, a, a good future man i appreciate it man and uh, we, we will catch up um i know we got some stuff coming up real soon um some events and stuff coming up real soon but we'll catch up and i just want to let everybody know this is Anthony Yako. He is the founder of Pitrex Baseball. And you can follow him at, at Pitrex Baseball on all social media platforms. 
and he's it'll be a good follow i promise you rob crew signing out